Man, that's good stuff. Ooh. Y'all like that? Say, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Man. Sweet worship. It's always sweeter when I take a week off. Come back here and hang out with y'all. Last week we worshiped on the road, riding a motorcycle back in the rain, so anything would have been better than that. Man, it's so, so good uh, to just think about what we just sang and, and realize how good God is and, and what he offers us. And the fact that God offers us an intimate, personal relationship with him, I mean, that he reaches out to us, it's crazy how we miss that. It's, it's, it, even, even now, like I know as I say that, there are times when I think that or I read that and somebody says that, that I really don't, it's not in my heart. I don't feel it. You don't feel it because I'm feeling it this morning. But, you know, here's, here's I was thinking as we were sitting there, as I was sitting there and singing, of how I could describe this idea, this thought, it, and it will lead into the message today. But, you know, our, our kids, uh, when we were, <clears throat> when our kids were young, we bought them a uh, timeshare in uh, Florida, timeshare-ish. We actually own, own a little piece of property. It's this big, probably if you break it down. But we get to go and, and spend a week in Orlando every other year, and we did that. And uh, I was just thinking about times like that, you know, times when I, I got frustrated as a parent because uh, we would be going, taking our kids to do this fantastic thing, and this is normal for brothers and sisters. You know how brothers and sisters do if any of you have ever traveled with your brothers and sisters, you know what happens in the traveling process. It doesn't matter, even if you make the traveling process creative, which we did, we decided we were going to take a train from Lafayette one time, and we rode a train to Orlando and spent two nights on it and had meals and all this stuff. It was still, you can't stop. What happens when you put siblings together in an enclosed space? And, and so my thoughts always go to, if my kids could just get their mind on... Orlando and Universal Studios and all the wonderful times we're going to have there that they wouldn't be so focused on what's going on right now and the fact that they're not getting their way or these disputes that they're having about every little thing that every kid, all siblings fight over, right? Y'all need to say right because Maddie isn't in here and I want her to know that she's like everybody else. Yeah, I mean, we fight. You fight. I mean, I hear stories all the time from you guys of when you're traveling with your kids and how they just go at each other. And just, you know, my kids' favorite stories to tell is when we're in the van, our big green oversized Savannah van that had the raised roof and the VCR and TV and the nice, comfortable seating captain's chairs for both the kids that you, know, you would think that all that stuff would stop them from fighting. But no, they, the one thing they had to focus on is what the other one said that irritated them, and then off they go. And then I would shout from the front chair, if I have to stop, if y'all don't stop, I'm going to stop this van. And everybody's getting a spanking, including Talitha. <laughs> and, and they would stop for a few minutes, and then all of a sudden it'd start back up. And I have no more warnings, only one warning from me. I would stop the van, usually abruptly, slide to the side of the road. And when the kids would feel the tension of the seatbelt on their chest, they would say, no, Daddy, no, Daddy, no, Daddy. They still have memories of that. I love to tell that story. 
what is it? I mean, that's on vacation. We're going to do the fun stuff. We're going to have a great time. There's good stuff in store. We got, you know, $150 tickets to Universal Studios for you guys for four days. We can go in and out as many times as we want. And you're fighting about one of my favorite fights or one of my favorite things Maddie said one time. This is embarrassing for, for Maddie. So, yeah, when she said, Daddy, Todd said even. What? I know, she was very little. It was last year. She was very small. <laughs> Todd said even. So I was stuff like that. What? Why do we fight over that stuff? The disputes that we have in, in life, though, are the same way. We have these disputes in life. And honestly, y'all, if we can make the transition, please make it with me. Our disputes in life are over the silliest things when we realize that God is saying, come to the altar. Heaven, what is it? Heaven's arms open wide? You know, I'm inviting you to come and fellowship with me and dwell with me and spend life with me. And we have all these things that we're fighting about and arguing about in life, the disputes that we argue about the, and, the, and the life issues that rise up. And we think we, we're so focused on this, this little thing that's happening in our lives, this little something. And everything's falling apart. The whole world is, is chaotic and, and, and there's nothing that can save what I'm feeling right now. My emotions are out of control and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm so... God, why do you let this happen and it, all this stuff? And we forget the beauty of the fact that God has invited us into a personal relationship with him, that we can love him, that we can do life with him. And, and when we get our minds focused on that, it automatically gets our, gets our life in order with all the other disputes that we have with other people in life, all the arguments that seem to be so important to us the theological high-heady arguments that we fight about over and over again, all of a sudden they don't, they don't mean anything when, we're, when we realize that God loves us. We have a relationship with him. You know, that he, he, he invites us into intimacy with him, that he invites us to, to, to know him personally by experience in our daily walk in life and that it doesn't matter what the world throws on us because, of a, because this world is, is in sin and we dwell in a broken world that tribulation comes and it doesn't matter because the one that we, that we are in relationship with has overcome the world. And we just need to get our minds focused on that this morning. How sweet is it that God invites us to that? And it is the solution to, to problems in life. It's the solution to, to all, you know, getting our minds stayed on that and taking every thought captive and making it obedient to the fact that we are God's children adopted by him made perfect by Christ, in right standing with God, that he sings over us, dances over us, provides for us, watches over us, works in our, on our behalf, moves in, in our lives, and is showing himself to us. If we could just get our minds focused on that. That's what happens in the story today, in the text that we read about Jesus. This is a different, you know, I wrote two messages this week. first message I wrote was very theological and doctrinal, and then I realized, wait, that's not what we're doing. We want to see who is Jesus in the story. When I opened that idea up, or God opened that idea up in my mind, everything changed. The whole message changed of this story. Well, you've been having the same struggle, I'm sure. You get in the text, and you, you think about these things you've always focused on in the text, and you miss the person. Jesus is in this story, and the story, uh, although it says a lot of things about a lot of things, 
what Jesus is showing us today is that he quiets disputes. He will quiet those disputes that are going on in your head, even if you're not disputing with somebody else. And he will, he will quiet the disputes that we spend so much time thinking about, preparing for, uh, and centering our lives about. We spend all of our emotion. Our heart is wrapped up in it. We, we spend hours of time fighting and disputing with people over, over these issues. And Jesus has a method today that he's going to teach us. And he's also going to show us that this, that this is who he is. He is the quieter of disputes in our lives. So if there's disputes going on, I think you're going to have to ask the question, are you realizing that Jesus is not about that? He's not about disputes. We've talked a lot about it. We've seen numerous examples, but not focused on this aspect of Jesus' character. We've seen so many times when Jesus comes in to a, to a volatile situation where where there's arguments going on, particularly religious arguments, which is the case today, where there's, there's different sides of a doctrinal issue or theological issue, and Jesus walks in and, and gives a whole new perspective. It's what he does. It's what he does today. And I think that we'll, we will all do well to, to sit up in our spirits and, and allow God to speak to us about this issue of disputes for who, for, so that we can know that this is who Jesus is, first of all, and that when we say we're on his side or he's on our side in a dispute, we can know that he's not. We can find ourselves finding a better solution by following his will and seeing that he is not on the sides of disputes. So let's look at it. I hope that whets your appetite. Matthew chapter 22, which, by the way, interesting note, last week's message that I did not preach Last week's message, we, we do our little Moravian readings in the mornings. Uh, you know, it's just, a, it's just a, a random reading through the scriptures. We do it in the mornings, and last week, Carrie sent me a text after the message. He said, the text that, that Zach used this morning is the exact text that was in the Moravian readings this morning. And the same thing happened today, this morning. So we got up, I, got, I get up to, to preach, didn't know it. I opened up the text today from Moravian readings, exact same text. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean the Moravians really got it? No. It means God wants us to pay attention today. Y'all see that? That if God gave me a message and he also highlighted it in a random reading this morning, that the Holy Spirit did something on purpose today. We all read a lot of different things this morning, but I read the Moravian readings, and that was the verse, the passage. Now, what that says to me every time that happens, and I would encourage you to, to take note of this, that... When that happens, God has a message for us, and we need to sit up and pay attention. Not every message is important, but I just want to encourage you in that. And tomorrow morning, when you have your devotional time, you're spending time with God, watch how he takes the message and plugs in the same message tomorrow, because it's not about us getting through the Bible. It's about us encountering God and knowing him. So he's alive, and he's at work, and his word is living and active because the Holy Spirit is taking his word and applying it to where we are individually and as a church. And it's so important that we move with him and continue to ask him, what are you doing and what's going on for me in, in, in life? And how, can you, how do you want to reveal yourself to me today? Third, uh, verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. 
One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now I want to talk about, first of all, the nature of disputes. Today we're talking about Jesus quieting disputes. And I want us to to look at some of what's behind the text today. And we'll go back and read some of the other passages. But I want you to see what's going on here. There's a dispute going on between two sides, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They are not in agreement over some theological issues, and they've decided they're, they're going to, to, to dispute. And so what is the nature of their dispute? It's the same thing that's true about disputes that we have. So if you can get one to mind, I would think that that would be a good practice for you right now. If you can think of something that you're disputing over right now, uh, a theological uh, dispute would be a good one. If there's something that you see in society right now, that some theological dispute that's going on, that would be a good thing to keep in mind. But don't leave out the disputes that you have between your wife and yourself and between friends of yours and yourself and between those that you think don't get it or don't understand or you just can't understand why they're that way, those judgmental ideas and thoughts that come to our mind that we've already addressed a number of times during the last few weeks. But get those disputes in mind. Because there's certain characteristics that we're going to look at that are true about disputes. First of all, disputes are two people or sides that are both confident that their beliefs are true. There is no lack of confidence when disputes happen. Both people on both sides of the issue or both groups on both sides of the issue are confident that their beliefs are true, and there's reasons behind it, and they can define for you what those reasons are. They can, if you need them to, they can, can line up, this is what I believe, and this is why I believe it. It was true for the Sadducees. The Sadducees were following the, the tradition of a rabbi named Nathan. And, and in his text, he talks about uh, Zadok, who was a, a disciple of, of Antigonus. Who was a, this was in the 2nd century B.C. And Zadok misunderstood a famous uh, saying of his mentor. The saying said, after, in quotes, after death, death rewards, was a, was a term that was misunderstood. And they developed a whole theology that denied the afterlife and the resurrection, obviously, of Christ because of that that the body would be resurrected, or there'd be any kind of resurrection, that there was no afterlife. And so it started off innocent enough, but what happened was they, they developed this belief. They had foundations for their belief, and it was historical. There was a leader who brought them a certain direction, who started with, uh, with the verbal, the, well, at one point they believed in the verbal tradition, but then they, they believed the written law, the Torah, and based everything on that, and they came to this belief that there was no afterlife. And so they denied it, and down through the ages, people began to develop this argument, and the Sadducees were those people. One of their arguments was that there was no resurrection and there was no afterlife. 
And they had it well-founded, and they had this list of reasons why this is true. Now, is there an afterlife? Yes, and we're going to come back to this thought. Because is there a resurrection? I hope so, right? Don't we all? Yes, there's a whole, there is a resurrection. But there was an interpretation by a, a respected leader that this was not true. And where do our disputes come from? Nine times out of ten, our disputes come from we have gotten some word from some respected leader, and we are fighting over some disputable matter that makes no difference whatsoever. But our disputes come from that. You know, there are all kinds of disputes going on right now in theological circles, but the majority of those disputes, you can find where they're coming from, and there's names tied to them, typically names of great theological leaders. And, and we, we add their name to what we believe, and we think that that adds some, some uh, power to the belief. That's what happens when you have disputes. And in your life, there are disputes that happen between you and your wife, you and your husband, you and your kids, you and friends, and a lot of those disputes, well, all the disputes happen the same way. You think you're right. You, you have reasons why you believe you're right, and you're going to hold to those reasons, and so is the other person, and so that's where dispute comes from. That's where it starts. We really believe, we're confident that our beliefs are true. The second thing that's true about every dispute is that the two people or, or two sides both believe that, that uh, they are right, but they're in contradiction to one another. So when you have two people that say, we are confident that we are right, and they come together, and those two thoughts or ideas are uh, conflict with one another, are in, in contradiction with one another, then dispute happens. Here's some of the distinctive beliefs of the Sadducees. They were, uh, first of all, they were a conservative priestly faction of the sects of Jewish life during that period. They were especially concerned with temple procedures. Some of this will sound familiar. Protocol, rituals, and liturgy. It's what they were concerned with. That's where their particular focus was. They held to the written Torah as authoritative, but they rejected the oral tradition, the Talmud. And as a result of that, they rejected a lot of the cherished, developed doctrines of the Pharisees, things like the resurrection of the body, which Scripture clearly talks about in, in all the Gospels and in Acts, the immortality of the soul, the existence of a hierarchy of angels, which Scripture talks about. And they also believed in an eye for an eye, literally. And so they believed in physical punishment and the death penalty instead of having any kind, some kind of monetary settlement over issues. So they were in dispute because their, their ideas and thoughts contradicted one another. In all these ways, uh, the, the Pharisees were different than them. And so where do you think their focus was? Man, they didn't need but one issue to be in, contra- to be in contradiction with, with the other to have fights and make that the focus. A lot of times, that's all we have. It's just one something. One something that we disagree with somebody over, but we are holding our ground and they're holding their ground, and there's contradiction. And we fight and fight and fight, and that's where our focus is. I've watched this as Southern Baptist. I watched our convention on two different times. When Talitha and I came to, to Louisiana and came back to Louisiana from Nashville, we came to a divided convention. 
the Louisiana Baptist Convention was divided over what was called liberal versus fundamental theology, all based around this idea, and I say idea because it was an idea, it was, there were certain people believing it in different ways, of the inerrancy of Scripture. My pastor growing up was Perry Sanders at First Baptist Church in Lafayette. He's one of the most conservative pastors and theologians I've ever met. He was labeled a liberal in this argument because he didn't believe exactly the way that the the fundamentalists believed about what does it mean when the Bible is inerrant. Everybody believes the Bible's inerrant. There's no Baptist in this state that didn't believe. I mean, there might be one somewhere. But he was not any of the ones that were in the fight. But what does inerrancy of Scripture mean? Well, there's this group over here that said, this is what inerrancy of Scripture means. And it's in direct contradiction, all of a sudden, to what this group over here believed what inerrancy of Scripture means. And so they were disputing over it, and that became the whole focus. Y'all, when we moved to Louisiana, every time there was a Louisiana Baptist Convention meeting going on, we would get phone calls, emails, text messages, uh, it was in the newspaper of how you needed to vote. Everybody's calling everybody, all their friends. Come to the convention. It's the biggest conventions we ever had in the state of Louisiana. Come to the convention because we need to vote in a president of the convention that's on the right side of the dispute. And we wonder why our churches were beginning to plateau and decline, not only in, our, in the people we were reaching, but in our spirits. Our souls were declining our hearts were declining because we were in this dispute to get, uh, against each other. And that's what happens. We, we get within ourselves these, these ideas that are, are, have nothing to do with anything. They're just a reason to fight. And we get so positioned that there's no way for peace to happen. Does that happen in your life? Are you in dispute with somebody else because you're determined to hold your ground on some disputable matter that makes no difference when you put it in the light of who God is, in the light of that you have a relationship with a, a God, the God of the universe who invites you to intimacy with him. All those things start falling off when you realize the significance of that relationship. But that's part of the disputes. Two people are sides, both believe they're right, and they're in contradiction with one another. A third thing about disputes each person or side will take advantage of the weaknesses and mistakes of the other. Don't dare make a mistake because it's going to be caught. We see it in political uh, realms all the time, fresh on our minds from the last presidential election. Everybody's focused on what the other people do wrong. You're not going to miss that. We're going to take advantage of the weaknesses and mistakes. That's what's happening in this text. Matthew 34, it says, the first verse of this text that we read today said, uh, or 22:34 said, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. It's like, hey, Jesus just put the Pharisees, the Sadducees where they belong. Boom. Let's get together. They wanted to hook up and talk about how Jesus told, the, the Sadducees got told. That's what happened. Where was it? Look at Matthew 22, verses 20 to 33, just above our text today. They were asking Jesus about the resurrection. 
They were trying to catch him by giving him something hard that he wouldn't be able to settle. And it was a dispute, obviously, that the Sadducees and Pharisees were fighting over because the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. So they come to Jesus and they're thinking, all right, we got him. And they ask him a question about the resurrection. They said, you know, if a man marries, uh, uh, if, a man's, uh, if a woman's husband dies and her brother picks, uh, marries him and then uh, he dies and she marries another brother and, then, uh, and has kids by all these men, then in the resurrection, whose wife will she be? Got him, they thought. And Jesus said this. You are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Don't ever think. Mean, that was a harsh, you know how Jesus does. Here's why you're wrong. You don't know the scriptures or God. There's your problem. But he says, or the power of God. He says, for in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what is said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac, God of Jacob. He is not God, the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. So Jesus had just put down the Sadducees and their whole concept and told them, you guys don't even know the scriptures. And the Pharisees go, y'all hear what he said? Let's get together. They gather everybody together and they start talking about it. How can we take advantage of this weakness that, that we know that they have? And we're going to get Jesus on our side. And so they come to Jesus. And that's what we do, isn't it? Man, I'm so sick and tired of people trying to gather me into their group to dispute over some theological matter. I'm tired of it. I, I don't want any part of it. Right? Are you all that way? I hope so. I don't want to be a part of all this stuff where we're fighting against each other and we're drawing our team together and we're picking sides. And that's division, and that is not what God has for us. And, and Jesus is not that guy. He is not about to, after he put the Sadducees in their place, by telling the truth, he's not about to join the Pharisees and get on their side. But they think he's going to. So they're trying to draw their sides, and we do that in disputes in life too. We try and find somebody else that's going to support us in the way that we believe. We want, we, we're going to find some proof. We're going to Google it. We're going to get Wikipedia on our side, which, by the way, isn't real. We're going to get somebody on our side to tell us why we're right, why it's okay to feel the way we feel, why it's okay to be, to be harsh and ugly and dispute with people. We're going to get some, some reasons on our side. We're going to hold on to those. We're not about to let those go, and we're going to build them up. Whether, if it just happens within yourself, you do it all the time. I do too. We get this thought that we're right, and then we dwell on it, and we dwell on it, and we build it up in our minds, and we talk about why the other person's wrong, and as soon as something, uh, some hole is, is presented in their theory or their dispute, then we jump on it. That's quality of the disputes, what we do. And the fourth thing that happens in disputes is each person or side is always looking for someone who can communicate their view with authority. So what happens here? Verse 35 and 36. One of them, a lawyer. <laughs> That's funny. They get a lawyer, right? Asks him a question to test him. Some versions say an expert in the law. 
They got an expert, right? A pharisaical expert to come and ask the question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment? And that's what we do. We get people with authority on our side, somebody that can speak for us. And, and how many times are we going to go back in history and, and in theological arguments, pull out of history uh, who it is that we're following and then trace their whole pattern all the way through to say, see, Baptists are tied to them. Who cares? Who cares if Baptists are tied to some theologian from 300 years ago? We're not developing our theology based on the past traditions or even the theology of those historical, wonderful, godly men in our past. We have the, the beauty of being able to walk in a relationship with God individually. And, and he will not, he's not going to take, put into our hearts anything that is anti-biblical. He's, he, the Bible is beautiful and it's wonderful. Read it for yourself. Find God in the Bible yourself. But we want to pick sides. And, and, and when we do, we get to the point where we, we ultimately, if somebody says we're wrong, then we're going to go back and tell them, well, this is what this historical character said. So now what you got to say? And that's what they did to Jesus. They come to Jesus with a lawyer and said, okay, we're going to quiet this dispute. What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus quiets the dispute. Verse, 20, uh, verse 37. He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend or hang all the law and the prophets. Everything that you guys are holding on to and disputing with, that the, the interpretations of the law and the prophets that you are using to support your arguments and your disputes, he says, here's what I want to tell you. Everything, all of what you're talking about hangs on two things. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, totally quiets the dispute because neither one of them were loving their neighbor as themselves or concerned about loving God and appreciating who he was and and giving their heart, soul, mind, and strength to, to God, dedicating themselves to him. None of them were doing that. Jesus doesn't take sides. He gives a solution to all the disputes. He gives a solution to all the disputes by saying, hey, all of the law, all theology hangs on this truth. It reveals the difference between head knowledge and and the practice of the truth. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, all your strength. Let me show it to you in in chapter 10, in Luke's gospel, he Matthew leaves one of them out, but, but in Luke chapter 10, he says this, and he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, and he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. In Luke's gospel, Jesus asked the question to the man, what do you say is the most important, the greatest commandment? 
And the man answers correctly, but he makes a transition here. He says, it's not enough that you know it. He says, it's enough that it's more that you have to do it. Are you practicing it? Are you actually loving the Lord, for instance, in all five of these ways? When I was in college, in seminary, I was working, taking a sociology or social work seminar, and my professor talked about, basically divided the human person into five parts. Said, so you know, we have an uh, emotional life. We have a physical life, obviously. We have a spiritual life. We have a mental life. And we have a social life, five parts of who we are. One day when I was reading the scripture and I came across this passage, the Lord showed me something about this command from God. When you take those five areas that my sociology professor said we were broken down into, and you take Matthew's gospel and you, and you look at those five areas, love the Lord your God with all your heart, emotional life. Love the Lord your God with all your soul, your spiritual life. Love the, God, love the Lord with all your strength or your might, your physical life. Love the Lord your God with all of your uh, mind, your mental life, thinking life, and then love your neighbor as yourself, your social life. Sociologists didn't discover these truths about human beings. God put it in our DNA. He broke us down into five parts, and, and what happens to most of us is we're willing to commit one part of our life to God. And, and in this case, we find the, the Pharisees and Sadducees committing their minds to God. They're studying, 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 and studying, but they have four other areas they have not committed to God. Or maybe they committed their physical bodies to God in that they weren't defiling themselves in any way uh, through sexual immorality or whatever, and they were keeping the law of being circumcised. They were doing the physical things, but we know that they had some social issues they were not loving their neighbor as themselves. And, and so if we begin to evaluate ourselves and where our disputes come from, this, this, we see the beauty of what God is saying to us. We see what he's saying here, that if you will love the Lord your God with all that you are, then you're not going to have these disputes with your neighbor. You're going to find yourself serving your neighbor like Jesus did. You're not going to wait for somebody to serve you and get on your side you're going to be trying your best to solve those disputes, to resolve those issues, to help people to, to feel good about themselves, to know who they are in Christ. Rather than finding our, holding on to our disputes and keeping our sides and fighting, we're going to be like, like God in that we give these things to him. I love that. You've answered correctly, but here's the thing. Jesus doesn't just, he doesn't take sides. He, he gives a solution to all the disputes and the theological disputes. The disputes are theological issues that hang on the truth that he's giving. But he also says, there, there's five ways that, that instead of disputing in these areas, you can love God. And, and he says it's, it's, it's in the emotional, physical, mental, social, and spiritual life. Give it all to God. So ask yourself the question. You want to spend some time disputing or, or rather than building yourself up in your dispute, ask yourself this question. Where am I not loving God in my emotions? What emotions am I allowing to build up inside of me against the other person that are not godly emotions? You know, that, that uh, hatred and that jealousy and that bitterness that you're build, allowing to build up in your life that you don't even see in yourself, 
that you're holding on to on your side of the dispute, that's sin, and it's separating you from God. The best expression of love to God is to not is to ask the Holy Spirit to remove those things. Take those things out of me. Love like let me love like you love, and the dispute goes away. Are the physical aspects, are the mental aspects, your way of thinking and constantly feeding your mind these lies, holding holding your own and using your mind for to hold on to these these feelings and to to draw uh, up ammunition for your side, using your mind for that. All these aspects of our life. Ask yourself physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, socially, where are the sins in my life? You want to talk about a social sin? Why it's not right to, dis- to have disputes? And I'm not saying it's not right for you to hold on to your truth, but these disputes that Jesus quiets here, here's why it's not right. Because a social sin is selfishness. So all the self-whatever sins of self-righteousness, self-dependency, uh, uh, you know, self-love, all those self-sins, selfishness, that's all sin. Loving God with my social life is always considering others better than myself. Always giving, even to those who, who hurt me, the love of Christ is those who hung him on the cross, he forgives. We can't get away from that. That's Jesus. That's who he is. He quiets the dispute by loving the Father with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving his neighbor as himself. There's a secret. It's a great secret. You know what? It makes life worth living. It takes away what you're feeling, that negative, horrible, always sad, always depressed, always having problems. It takes that away when when God, by his spirit, helps us to focus on loving him and loving others first. It takes all that away. That's why Jesus says, not only do all the law and the prophets hang on these things, but he says, listen, he closes out in in the Luke passage by saying, do this. And you will live. Now, he didn't mean live physically. He didn't mean you're going to die physically if you don't do this. He meant live. Like Jesus said in John 10.10, I came to give life and to give it more abundantly. There's a more abundant life that comes when when we see that Jesus is not one that jumps on our sides of disputes, but instead that he quiets the disputes by teaching us how to love others better than ourselves, more than ourselves, to give to others above ourselves, to consider their side and stay on their side. God saved my marriage by teaching me how to love my wife selflessly. The only time we have problems at home, the only time I'm miserable in my marriage is when I'm not giving. That's when I get miserable. There's truth to this. It's a big, one of the great paradoxes of the Christian life. And we need to get off of our sides and start just loving God and loving others. That's the solution. So Jesus didn't give them an answer about the resurrection and their theology about resurrection. Well, let me just tell you how it's going to be. He didn't so- so- settle their other issues and the theological differences. What he did is he said, Here's, here, you want to get it right? Love God with everything that you are. Abide in him. Get to know him, love him experientially. 
Let him love you and lose yourself in serving and loving others. That's the natural result anyway of abiding. Ultimately, you're going to find yourself giving, loving other people the way Christ loves. When you know Christ, it causes you to want to be like him. When you know him by experience. Most of you have experienced the grace of God in such a real way that you give grace to others. You're stopping, you're beginning to stop judging other people because you're not judging yourself based on your righteousness. It changes the way we treat others when we understand these truths about who he is. And so God wants us to abide in him because ultimately that's going to make us like him. So the secret to loving others as you love yourself is to love God, to know God, continue to develop your relationship with him. Do your ABCs. Abide in him, then bless others. And watch what happens. That's, that's, it's simple. Jesus gives a simple plan to how we quiet disputes in our lives. And, and wherever you are today, whatever dispute you've had in your mind, whether it be theological or personal, uh, again, I hope you got those things in your mind. And I challenge you this week to take those thoughts, to get those disputes in your mind and ask God, how can you be like Christ? And just let your love for God be what you're about. <laughs> one of the things I hate about Logan's Restaurant, a lot of things, but one of the things I hate about Logan's Restaurant is the peanuts. I have a love-hate relationship with those peanuts. Because every time I go to Logan's, I'm starving to death. Right? And so I eat peanuts like crazy. And the service is slow. And they, bring the lo- they finally bring my steak out, and I'm not hungry anymore. And some of us are so worried about these little disputes and we're eating peanuts all the time and we're missing the, the beauty of who God is. We're missing the, the steak. The steak is God himself. And we would rather spend all of our time arguing over the peanuts. What are y'all laughing about? Okay. thought maybe I said something weird. Usually when Maddie laughs, I say something inappropriate. God's the stake. Let's quit spending all our time in these stupid disputes, letting those things drag us down. They, they drag us down. People are trying to drag us on their train and get us away from these simple solutions that God gives us. Y'all with me? All right, let's pray. Father, help us. We see today that Jesus is a is one that quiets disputes, and we are so prone to keep the fire burning. We need your help. Help us to see how we have been like the Sadducees and Pharisees and standing on our side and holding on to our sides and following, finding people who have authority, who are on our side to prove that we're right and, and, and standing in contradiction and in in dispute with other people because of things that don't matter. Help us to take on the heart of Paul when he said not to argue over disputable matters, but to hold on to the beautiful relationship that we have in you and to to hold on to Jesus Christ and him crucified and a resurrected Christ who gives us life and the opportunity to have a personal, intimate relationship with him. Help us to, to see the value of that and to quit holding on to the peanuts in life and to have the stake, God. Get, it, get us on board with this. We need your Holy Spirit's power to do it because it's, we are our default our, because of our flesh 
is to continue to hold on to our, our viewpoints and to fight it to the end. The last thing we want to do is ever admit we're wrong, but we are wrong. We are wrong today. And I pray that you'll bring that to our hearts and break us today of that. Every person here, God, break us in this area of disputes because we want to be like you. We want to be the people that quiet disputes rather than start them. We want to be the people that, that love people on both sides of disputes rather than being the people who stand on one side, holding our signs and, and yelling with our voices. Touch marriages today, God, that are struggling because we stand on our sides. Heal friendships today, Jesus, by quieting disputes. Help us to love you more, to know you more, to commit to abiding in you and blessing others and to commit to community together, to just do the simple things you've already told us to do. There's nothing new. Everything hangs on these things, Lord, loving our, our God and loving our, our friends and our neighbors and our family. Change us today. Make these changes solid in our hearts. Pray in Jesus' name.